Maybe you had hopes and dreams at one point in your life. Maybe you even achieved some of them. You had the dream job, you had the dream marriage, you got the dream house, and then all of a sudden, perhaps to no fault of your own, the dream came crashing down. And when that happened, you, maybe you lost your hope. Now your life feels like a train that's running late. Today we're beginning a new sermon series entitled Waiting for Jesus, and we're going to be exploring the Advent themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. Over the next four weeks, we'll explore these themes by looking at vignettes from the beginning of Luke's gospel account. Now, ironically, Advent doesn't officially begin until next Sunday, but we just couldn't wait to begin this series. So the theme of waiting will run throughout our series, and today we're going to talk about what it means to have hope in the midst of waiting. With that in mind, let's commit our time to the Lord through prayer. Would you please pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you are the God who comes into our trials, that you are the one who we sang, come thou long expected Jesus, and indeed you are here. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. I don't know everybody's story, but I suspect that some of us are waiting for something. Some of us may have lost hope. And I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would infuse us with the reality of the gospel and the truth that comes from knowing you, Lord Jesus. And may we leave today changed and transformed all for your glory. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the time is here, friends. Our turkey-induced sleep comas have passed us by. Our taste buds are still pulsating from the sweetness of cranberry sauce. And we have survived the death-defying adventures of Black Friday. Now watch out Cyber Monday. And you know what that means? We've entered holiday movie time. The Christmas season, movies are are a mixture of feel-good family comedies, Oscar contenders, and guaranteed box office hits, as anyone but me purchased their tickets for the Star Wars movie that's coming out in just a few weeks. Maybe not. All this talk of Christmas movies takes me back about 12 years when one of my classic childhood stories came powerfully to the big screen in the form of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis's famous children's series finally got a beautiful live-action CGI animal-infused trip to the cinema, introducing a new generation of children to the wonders of Narnia, the icy coldness of the White Witch, the wide-eyed amazement of the Pevensey children, and the glory that is Aslan the Lion. Of course, in this particular chronicle of Narnia, even though it was released at Christmas time, we learned very early on that Christmas has not visited Narnia in a hundred years. The evil witch has been ruling and oppressing the people there, and the Christian punk band Reliant K captures Narnia's reality in these eloquently penned lyrics, it's always winter and never Christmas. It seems this curse just can't be lifted. Now, some of us in this room today can sympathize with those words and the plight of the Narnian people. Do you know what it's like to have no hope? Have you ever felt like your life is just a long winter? Perhaps you're sitting here today, this morning, facing problems that seem so dire you can't see a way out. Maybe it's a difficult health diagnosis, an area of sin that brings constant defeat and shame to your life, maybe regret. Maybe it's career difficulties or unemployment during an economic downturn, or maybe it's relational, a marriage that's on the rocks, or wayward children that are always breaking your heart. 
If it's not those, fill in the blank. I suspect there is some area of our lives where we feel like it's the middle of winter. And this is how the scene in Narnia begins. They were without hope. That is, until Lucy Pevensey, the youngest of the four children, goes through the wardrobe that serves as a gateway between the land of Narnia and her world. She meets the fawn named Mr. Tumnus and quickly learns of the plight of the people there. Peter, Susan, and Edmund, her siblings, come to Narnia shortly after and find themselves caught in the midst of a war between good and evil. But all the characters they meet now have hope because there is a prophecy that these four children will come and free them as they fight at the side of Aslan, the lion. And Aslan is on the move. He has returned. He left Narnia, but now he's back to put an end to the reign of the evil white witch. I mean, just imagine. Narnia hasn't seen Christmas in a hundred years. We can hardly go 12 months without Christmas. The residents of Narnia are oppressed by the white witch and were waiting, longing, holding out hope that one day Christmas would come again. That hope would return. And now Aslan is on the move. Wouldn't that get you excited? I suspect there's some of us in here today who are walking through what feels like the worst winter ever. It's cold. It's dark. All you want to do is hole up in your house and never come out like Mike in our opening film and like the residents of Narnia. You're waiting for hope to return because it feels like you've lost it. And if that is you today, what I want to show you is where hope can be found. Just like the children had to go through the wardrobe to get to Narnia, we as the people of God have to go through the Bible to find the hope that we long for. So let's open the door and peer into the biblical world. And as we do, I suspect we'll be encouraged by our passage in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. It's a story about a man who also had been waiting He'd been waiting for a long time, waiting and waiting and waiting. He and his people, they even waited through 400 years of silence from God. And then, all of a sudden, hope exploded into their world. Church, what are you waiting for? Because there is only one place the true hope is found. And to find that hope, we'll see three things within our story today. We'll see the waiting, we'll see the wonder, and then we'll see the sword and the soul. So the first one, I think, is the most challenging. It's the waiting. The waiting. The first week of Advent and the theme of hope are somewhat based on the whole premise of waiting. You know, we're discontent and with the way things are, and we're looking for that discontentment to resolve itself somehow in the future. Now, as Christians, even though things may be difficult now, we have faith that God will make all things right in the future. What does the writer of Hebrews tell us in chapter 11, he says this. He says, Now faith is the assurance of all things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. In other words, we have an assured hope that God will keep his promises. Things we don't see yet will come to pass. But boy, oh boy, is it difficult in the waiting period. So let's set our scene for Luke chapter 2. The nation of Israel has been a dominant force in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 11, Israel was separated into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom that was still called Israel and was filled with a bunch of bad kings. And the southern kingdom of Judah that had some good kings. 
The northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians and taken away never to be heard from again. God spared the southern kingdom of Judah, who were captured by the Babylonians, taken out into exile, but eventually returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the city in the book of Nehemiah. After those events, we have what is called the intertestamental period, where the nation of Israel was waiting for Messiah to come and save them from oppression. And worse still, they had to wait 400 years through silence from God. No prophets rose up to speak on his behalf. And then all of a sudden, things started to happen. In other words, Aslan was on the move. An angel appears to Mary and Joseph. More angels appear to shepherds and announce the birth of a king. And a stable in Bethlehem is the birthplace of God in the flesh. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. I suspect at this time, no one knew their wait was over. No one knew that hope had come. Which brings us to this interesting scene in Luke chapter 2. Shortly after Jesus was born, in verse 25, we meet a man named Simeon. Look at what Luke records. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, just who was Simeon? Well, we read here that he was righteous and devout, which indicates that he is a man who has walked with God. We also learn that he's been waiting. Now, why has he been waiting and for how long? Well, look at verse 26. It says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The text seems to indicate that Simeon was advanced in years. He was getting close to death. In other words, he was an older man who had been waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting his whole life, waiting for Messiah to come. Simeon represents the testimony of a wise elder who has walked with God. And what specifically has he been waiting for? The consolation of Israel. Now, do you know what consolation means? What do you do when you console someone? It means you you offer comfort in a moment of pain. And in this context, Simeon was waiting for God to console his people as he had promised through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 49. Sing for joy, O heavens, the prophet writes. O earth, break forth, and exult, O earth, break forth. O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Throughout Isaiah, He writes, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And Simeon had been waiting for comfort from God, for salvation to come. Simeon's been waiting a long time, and his waiting is about to pay off. Because you see, a few verses before Simeon is introduced, we get context. Before we meet Simeon, we learn that Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, have brought their baby to the temple to obey the law of Moses. In order to do this, they had traveled to Jerusalem where they meet Simeon, the man who had been waiting for comfort for his people. Now, I think this resonates with some of us this Christmas because that's what you need. You need comfort from God. Simeon was about to receive comfort after a long wait. So let me ask you a question. What are you waiting for? Or think about it this way. What will you wait in line for? Is it for the next tech product, the next blockbuster movie, 
Will you wait in line for your favorite band when they're in concert or a sports team when, they're made, when they made the playoffs? What are you willing to wait for? Because here's the truth. What we are waiting for reveals the true passions of our hearts. There are some things we will wait for and there's others that we will not wait for. But until we've waited for something, we don't know how precious it is. I mean, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for God to show up after he had been silent for so long. We wait on things that are important to us. Simeon waited on God. In other words, Simeon was patient. Pastor Stephen Furtick puts it this way. He says, patience is the proof of hope. Can that be said of us, church? Or do we feel like we've been waiting for God for so long that we have given up? Because truthfully, the longer we wait, often the more bitter and agitated we become. When we're young, the whole world is in front of us. Our hopes and dreams haven't been shattered at all. But as we age, it becomes much easier for us to become bitter, angry, and full of despair instead of hope. And why is that? Well, our minds are often preoccupied with earthly things rather than eternal things. If you remember in the story of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Lucy's brother Edmund comes to Narnia and meets the evil white witch who tempted him to bring his brother and sisters to her so that she could kill them and stop them from fulfilling the prophecy and overthrowing her. And how did she tempt Edmund? By offering him Turkish delights. By offering him candy. And because he is so focused on this momentary pleasure, Edmund becomes a traitor and a slave to the white witch, and and his life belongs to her. Some of us don't wait well because we are preoccupied with earthly, temporal pleasures. But Simeon was preoccupied with the things of God. And that is where he found his comfort. And so a better question to ask is this. Where do you look for consolation in your life? Where do you look for comfort? When things get bad, when your dreams are shattered and all hope seems lost, where will you run? Who or what will you bring you true comfort? Because, you know, unfortunately, I think we've lost the art of waiting in our society. We're so focused on being instantaneously gratified like Edmund that we no longer, how to, no longer know how to live in the moment and be present with people. Does anyone remember the days of dial-up internet? Yeah. The screeching sound of the phone line trying to connect to America Online was like nails on a chalkboard for what feels like an hour, and in some cases it was an hour. You know what I'm talking about. Enter high-speed internet and forget about waiting even five seconds to connect to the internet. When I go to Target or the grocery store and forget about, you know, and have to wait a few minutes in line, I find myself getting impatient, right? I know I'm not the only one. And so what do we do? We, we whip out our phones, we start checking an app because we need to preoccupy our time. We don't know how to wait. And we certainly don't know how to wait for the things that are important and have eternal significance. I think we have a lot to learn from Simeon. Now, while our modern technological world has brought many good things, I think our current technology has actually made us more impatient. And so I want to offer you a challenge this Advent season from author Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family. In the book, he outlines 10 commitments his family strives for when it comes to technology use. Now, their goal is not to eliminate technology from their lives, but it's just to keep it in its proper place. And so commitment number three says this, for one hour a day, one day a week, and one week out of the year, 
we turn off our devices and worship, feast, play, and rest together. Now, I know for most of us, a week a year is probably impossible. But this Advent season, could we commit to one hour a day, and even one day a week, where we turn off our electronics and spend time with family and friends, and eat together, play some board games, laugh? I know it will be hard, but I challenge us, including myself, to do this. Now, another thing we can learn from Simeon's example is this. Simeon chose to wait on God's promises. And like Simeon, we must choose to believe the promises of God because if he kept them for Israel, he will keep them for us as well. Amen? Now, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Silver Chair, which is about the school of Aslan the Lion, another chronicle of Narnia, Aslan sends two children on a quest. To make it through this quest, he gives one of the children four signs to follow. And the quest will fail if she does not remember them. This is what he says to her. He says, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And secondly, I give you a warning. Here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind and the signs which you have learned here will not look at all as you expect them to look when you meet them there. That is why it is so important to know them by heart and pay no attention to appearances. But remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. Friends, God has given us precious promises and we must choose to believe him and wait for him. And if we do this, perhaps, like Simeon, we can gain a greater understanding of what we are waiting for. Because Simeon was a man who modeled what the waiting period should look like. And when we wait for a long time, the next season is so much, precious, so much more precious. And that's the season of the wonder. The wonder. Simeon's been waiting for so long, and then, and then, this family with a baby enters the temple courts, and we see in verse 27, Luke writes this, and he came into the, in the spirit into the temple, this is Simeon, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Now, can you, can you just picture this scene? Simeon is going to the temple again to pray, And he probably thinks that it's going to be another day of waiting and the status quo. But no. No, this day will be different. Heaven is about to explode into his world. Can you see the look on his face when he sees the child? Simeon probably leapt for joy. The spirit revealed to him that Messiah, whom he had been waiting for, is now here. And look at what he does in verse 28. It says, And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you will prepare in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Do you know what it is like to wait for something so long that when you get it, tears stream down your face? So I picture Simeon taking the baby Jesus with tears streaming down his face and weeping as he says these words, my eyes 
have seen your salvation. I've been waiting my entire life for this moment, and now I can die. Simeon was literally holding salvation in his hands. The consolation he had been waiting for was finally here in his presence. Wonder and awe must have filled his heart. Church, what are you waiting for? Because Simeon was waiting to see Jesus. And this Jesus represented not just hope for Israel, but for the whole world. Light for the Gentiles. The glory of Israel that would push back darkness in this world. And look at how his parents respond. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, can you imagine, as a parent, have you ever been proud of your child? Mary and Joseph enter the temple. This older religious man picks up their child and says, this one, this one, he will save the world. Now, maybe you think he's just a little bit crazy, but I'll bet you'll be proud. He chose your child to say that. And Mary and Joseph had already seen some some crazy things, and so I bet they believed. And it says here they marveled at what was said about him. When was the last time we marveled at Jesus Christ? When was the last time we stood in awe of the Christmas story and the redemptive plan of God? Church, may we never lose our awe. You know, one of my favorite authors, Paul David Tripp, recently wrote a book entitled Awe. And the basic premise of the book is this, humans are hardwired for awe. Tripp says that our hearts are always captured by something. That's how God made us. And unfortunately, all too often, we stand in awe of everything but God. And the book challenges us to do exactly what Simeon experienced that day in the temple, to be in awe of our consolation-giving God. And so I would ask you today, church, have you lost your awe of God Has the waiting caused you to lose your wonder of Jesus? Because I would suggest that if we learn anything from Simeon, it is this. If we don't learn the lesson of the waiting, we miss out on the wonder. Because everything is so much sweeter after we wait. In fact, they are inextricably linked together, the waiting and the wonder. You know, C.S. Lewis used to say this, the suffering now is part of the happiness then, and that's the deal. Friends, we must learn to wait well and never lose our awe of God. May the waiting never distract us from the wonder of God and his goodness because when we have awe of God, we always know where our hope lies. Paul Tripp says one of our greatest problems in life is that we have an awe problem. And he offers a few examples about how this plays out. First, he says, where you look for awe will shape the direction of your life. Your source of awe will control you, your desires, the course your story takes. And if you live in awe of material things, you'll spend lots of time and money acquiring a pile of material things, and you'll find your identity and inner sense of peace there. He also says awe stimulates the greatest joys and deepest sorrows in us all. Where do you experience your biggest moments of of happiness and your darkest moments of sadness? What makes you say, if I only had blank, then I would be fulfilled? That is the true thing you are in awe of. Or take anger, for example. 
Think about all the little things you've gotten angry about over the last couple of months and have any of them had to do with the kingdom of God. This will show where our true awe lies. And if our awe is not in Jesus, we will quickly learn this truth, that misplaced awe keeps us perennially dissatisfied because we are in awe of things that are not truly awesome. Church, I would suggest the reason we often don't have hope is because we have an awe problem. We focus on the waiting and not on the wonder. But you see, Simeon's mind was preoccupied with God's purposes, and he stood in awe of the only one who is truly awesome, Jesus. Friends, the message of Christmas is that heaven has come to earth and redemption is here. And if we don't stand in awe of Jesus, we will stand in awe of something. Where is your wonder? Now, you know, these words Simeon quotes from the prophet Isaiah are now repeated all over the world as part of the Christian liturgy. Simeon is thanking God that he lived just long enough to see the Messiah. However, the last part of what Simeon says is very interesting and often forgotten, but it is a key part of the Christmas story and the last element of discovering our hope, and it's this. It's the sword and the soul. Now, what in the world does that mean? I'll admit, I don't want a sword to go anywhere inside of me, even my soul. But look at the text. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. Do you catch what Luke is saying here? Just after Simeon's statement about wonder and awe of Messiah, he also mentions a sobering truth, that Jesus Christ, the hope the world has been waiting for, will be accepted by some and rejected, even opposed by many. So again, put yourself in this scene as a parent. You have just learned that your child will bring salvation to the world, but then you hear that your child will be opposed, that he will cause division. As a parent, how would that make you feel? Not good. You'd probably be scared. You want to take your child home and protect them. But here's what Simeon is getting at here. He says, bringing true hope to the world will not be easy, and in fact, it will be painful. And then he looks at Jesus' mother and says this, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What in the world does that mean? Well, Simeon is telling Mary something that she cannot comprehend yet, but something that is the key to our hope, that Messiah will suffer, that a spear will pierce his side. And Mary, he says, you will witness this, and it will feel as if a sword is piercing your own soul also. In other words, you will suffer, Mary, because he will suffer. Now, Luke doesn't record the parents' reaction to this, but I imagine she pondered these words deeply. And for us, it is the key to hope. It's the key to unlocking the other two elements of hope because it's not as simple as waiting waiting for the wonder. It's about preparing ourselves for suffering and pain in the midst of the waiting and wonder. You see, it is only when you walk through the darkness that you can see the light. It is only when you journey through the fire that you can be refined. And it is only when you experience pain and suffering that you know the true beauty of redemption. Now think about it this way. How does a surgeon bring hope to your body that has a tumor in it? Well, the surgeon spills your blood. 
cuts you open because that is your only path to health. How does a therapist help a downcast, depressed person? How often she does this by bringing up the past, getting the patient to confront painful memories and terrible feelings that they don't want to think about. You see, both the surgeon and the therapist often have to make you feel worse before you can feel better. And that's what the sword in the soul does. And it points us to a few realities about placing our hope in Christ. First, since people opposed Jesus, they will oppose us also. Now you may say, Pastor Bob, I don't want to cause trouble. I'm a peaceful person. Ah, But if you want true hope by placing your faith in Christ, you will be following the one who said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. As Tim Keller says, the manger at Christmas means that if you live like Jesus, there won't be room for you in a lot of inns. And true eternal hope comes with a cost in this life. Now, secondly, you will experience inner conflict. A sword will pierce our souls also because we must fight against our flesh to daily follow Jesus. You see, placing your faith in Jesus Christ and finding true hope in him means that we need to repent of our sin and turn away from all the other idols we've been placing our hope in. This fight against sin is a daily struggle. And so even as we wait patiently for Christ's return and as we stand in awe of his goodness and grace, our hope will put a sword in our soul as we fight sin and look to our Savior's example. Because here's the truth. We can only discover hope once we have trudged through the snowy forever winter. In this life, true hope is found by following a Savior who people will oppose. Are you ready? Because Christmas ultimately points to the cross. And friends, this is the hardest part of hope because it requires action and sacrifice. The waiting and the wonder are easy, but the sword and the soul is where the rubber meets the road. It shows where our true hope lies. Now remember I mentioned earlier that Edmund Pevensey came to Narnia, meets the white witch, and she tempts him with Turkish delights. And he becomes a traitor. His life belongs to her, and he deserved to die for his treachery. And the only way for him to be freed was for someone to die in his place on the stone table. And Aslan the lion chooses to go in his place and face this scene. And in the most dramatic moment in the book, Lucy and Susan look on as Aslan enters this scene, willing, willingly choosing to die for Edmund. As all the evil forces are around him, they cut off his mane, they humiliate him, they bind him up, and they place him on the stone table. And as all the evil forces around him cheer, the white witch takes a sword and plunges it into his heart and kills the lion. And as Lucy and Susan watch this scene, their hearts sink. Their hope fades away. A sword pierces their souls also. But they didn't see the bigger picture. And neither did the white witch, nor they, understand that there was, as Aslan puts it, deeper magic in the law of Narnia. This deeper magic said that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table would crack and death itself would start working backward. And so Lucy and Susan, in their moment of grief, did not see that their hope was not lost It was assured. 
And it is our hope also, friends, that just like Aslan, the great lion, gave himself for the traitor Edmund, Jesus Christ went under the sword for us. He died willingly in our place, but the sword had to fall on him first. As theologian J.I. Packer so aptly puts it, Christmas, the Christmas message is that there is hope for ruined humanity, hope for pardon, hope for peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross in the place of traitors like you and me. Traitors who, like the nation of Israel, gave up waiting and built our own statues to worship. Traitors who find awe in everything but Christ. And traitors like us who run away when suffering gets close. See, Jesus Christ died to do what we could never do. And just like Aslan the lion, he rose again, causing death itself to start working backward. And now, as Peter writes in his epistle... We have been born again to a living hope because Jesus is the only hope that satisfies. And so church, what are you waiting for? Because what you're waiting for reveals where your true hope lies. Today, even though we may be walking through the winter, even though our lives may seem cold and painful, hope is not just in the future, hope is here. The kingdom has come and our hearts can be warm. And our restored future is just over the horizon. Like Simeon, our wait will not be forever. One day our eyes will see the salvation of God in the flesh. You know, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe ends with a picture of that future hope. And if you haven't figured it out yet, Jesus is Aslan the lion. And in the story, Aslan is the one who has come to the land of Narnia to roll back the icy winter of the White Witch. And in the climactic battle of the story, after Aslan has sacrificed himself on the stone table, the combined forces of Narnia fight the White Witch and her army, and they're losing. All hope seems lost. When all of a sudden... In the distance, there is an earth-shattering roar from a cliff where Aslan the lion thought dead is now alive. He's defeated death, and he has come back with an army to vanquish his enemy once and for all. And all the forces of darkness shudder. And it's then that the forces of Narnia come together with renewed hope behind their king and march into battle. Here's how C.S. Lewis describes the scene. He says, Then with a roar that shook all Narnia from the western lamppost to the shores of the eastern sea, the great beast flung himself upon the white witch. As Aslan the lion charges into battle, he devours the white witch and ends winter. You see, C.S. Lewis in the pages of a children's book captures for us the future hope of the Christian and the reality of the present battle. But Jesus is stronger. Jesus is bigger. And our hope is this. We have a lion behind us who will one day vanquish our enemy once and for all, where we will see winter roll back, where warmth will return here just as it did to Narnia. Peace will come back, and the lion will be victorious. See, church, at Christmas, we celebrate the Incarnation. God the Son coming to earth, heaven breaking into this dark and fallen world. 
After 400 years of silence, the word of God comes to earth in the flesh. And while Jesus came the first time as a baby, the second time he will come as a lion leading the charge against the forces of darkness. See, the season of Advent is not just about his first coming. It's about his second coming as well. And he will return to make all things new. You know, I love the way C.S. Lewis ends his Narnia series. And so as we close, let me read the last paragraph of his book, The Last Battle. And as I do, I'll invite the worship team to come forward for one more song. Lewis writes this, he said, But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. To that end, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as we wait for hope, as we stand in wonder of the beauty of the gospel, and as even the sword pierces our souls, because in that pain, we remember that Jesus took the sword for us, and we wait on him to make all things new. Amen?